things change all the time. But the one thing I will say, will say for a fact is my sound is always going to be different. Um, like for instance, you, you know, you've heard my like first perseverance sounds one way versus writing. Um, what was the yeah like stir crazy well actually i'll give you let me give you an example like for instance if you like a piece that might the tension and release for example is very experimental i mean i don't have a recording for it but there's a lot of yeah i'll write something as ex extreme as that yes yeah for sure um still looking for a performance on that by the way <laughs> side note but i sound in you know, the sound is always going to be different on my end. I think for me, I'm staying with my idea and philosophy, which is my own personal experiences and the theme of, you know, of that. If as long as I have that and I'm genuine about my style and how I write, then I'm good with it. But I'm, I'm fairly flexible with what to write just as long as it makes the message more meaningful. Hello, and welcome to the Program Notes podcast by Tux People's Music. My name is Jacob Thede, and I will host all of these interviews with the composers of Tux People's Music. In them, we'll talk about their music, particularly the pieces on the catalog of Tux People's Music. We'll talk about the stories behind them. We'll talk about how they composed them, why they composed them, what they were going through when they were writing that music. And I hope it might give a little insight into their lives and be a sort of memoir into the piece that um, might be a little extra that you wouldn't have otherwise received when you either bought the music or performed the music or rehearsed the music. So I got Michael Goodman with me, and we're going to talk about uh, Perseverance first for Wind Ensemble. It was written um, in 2019, and um, um, Michael, I guess, what did you, what were you going through when you were writing this piece? Well, um, when I wrote Perseverance, um, I was... It was a very odd time because I was currently living in Modesto, California, and um, I had a few months before I started, I unfortunately went through, um, well, essentially I was terminated from my last job. So I was unemployed at the time. And it's kind of a long story on that end. But as far as like trying to go through a lot of other issues such as anxiety and just trying to figure out where to go from point A to point B, I had to figure out a way to, to cope. So yeah. I had to, I was also writing another piece beforehand called Tension and Release for Saxophone and Voice. Um, but Perseverance for me, when I wrote it, um, I had two reasons for writing it. One was because um, Jared Davenport of Tux had promoted the call for scores for publishing. And I thought, well, you know, I've been told to write a piece for band for a long time because I play euphonium and I've played in bands for most of my music career, but never had the chance to write it. <laughs> so I was like, I'll give it a shot and see what it goes. But I also felt like the need to keep pushing through um, the, gr the grain I was going with because I, it wasn't until August of that year when I decided to help my dad out at his business in Lansing and Mason, Michigan. So I basically, my moral compass at the time was thinking this piece is mainly about just keep pushing through, keep pushing through. It might be very hard for someone at the time, but at the end of the day, it's all about trying to be consistent with your goal and just reaching it. Absolutely. So, I mean, this was your first win ensemble piece. Yes. Oh my gosh. I mean, I, so I'm just blown away that this was, it sounds like you have a lot of experience just by listening to it. My, my first listen through, I was just like, I, I really enjoyed just like the, the pacing of it all. Um, and I thought that was just so 
I don't know. And it's just me. But like, if you listen to it, it just seems like each section is just so well placed that when one idea is, 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 how do you put it? I guess when you want more, but yet you're still satisfied, uh, you move on to the next yeah. idea and to the next phrase, at least from my, my perspective, just because it was just so well put between each of the sections and especially like leading up to the climax of the piece, you know, like all these different, you know, it's, it's going back and forth between like some more, uh, crunchy dissonant colors for lack of a better word to more like stereotypical wind ensemble, you know, orchestration. Um, and yet in it all, I'm just like, I'm, I'm waiting to hear like, just like more of each section, essentially kind of like, it's kind of like I compare it to like John Adams music where like you, you go to any of his symphony pieces. It's like, I feel like, um, any of his symphony orchestra pieces, at the end and as someone who prefers that kind of music i know there's people out there that don't you know like it as much but i think one of the points that really draws me into his music and i think with that piece it's just like i it leaves me wanting more and i don't know like can you can you talk about the pacing like what were you thinking when you were writing that if you can recall i know it's i know it's about two years ago it was 2019 when you wrote it yeah um yeah, no, I could explain a little bit. Um, I, well, one thing is that I try to avoid making my music sound like the like the stereotypical band bandy sound. Absolutely, like yeah, people yeah. Call it. <laughs> so I, you know, I've learned about a lot about texture and timbre a lot through my professors, specifically through um, Dr. Jerry Hutchison and Dr. Ricardo Lorenz at Michigan State. So those two have specifically helped me with that. Um, the pacing, I. It's funny because I really haven't thought too much about the pacing. I mainly just, I, t I, I try to think more like in terms of repetition because I like mm. to have a certain set because I know that you could do so much with so little material. And yeah. I was mainly, that's usually how I write my music. It's like if I have a certain motive, which in this case, it was in the clarinet section at the beginning. I try yeah. to elaborate more onto that and expand it, whether it's through timbre, whether it's through fixture. And I just, it's mainly a gut instinct trying to figure out, okay, this feels like this is the right setting, or this feels too, a little, almost too much if I keep going, or it's not enough. I mean, so that's, that's kind of how we'd look at it, the pacing. Absolutely. I mean, you fooled me. I mean, it was just <laughs> right. Like it was, it was great. And, um, okay. And, uh, I mean, what, I guess like you had never written a wind band piece and, um, and here you are out in Modesto, uh, Cal time, yes. California. Yeah. I mean, what, what brought you out there, uh, initially? It was mainly the, the job. Um, I, I mainly, I, okay. So I went to Florida state university before then where I was an arts administration major and I went to Modesto as a development associate for a local music ensemble. And oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, it was mainly for the job. And the one thing I did like being in Modesto was that it's home for home to ENJ Gallo Winery, which is mm. where my my wife. Oh, well, she wasn't my wife at the time, but she worked for Gallo eventually. And wow. It was a great perk. But, and you hadn't met her before. Like this was all. Yeah, I met her in Florida State. So about okay, we met in 2015. So gotcha. Okay, she eventually okay, cool. moved to California. Yeah, so she was like, I don't want to be in Evansville anymore. I want to be closer to where Michael is. So it, absolutely, that, that's a bit story in itself. But yeah, you know. I'm I'm well aware of Evansville, Indiana. <laughs> too <laughs> yeah. too aware. Yeah. Oh yeah, that, yeah. That's incredible. And so. um yeah, I guess like how long, you know, you had just lost this job and how long did it take you to the write the piece and how did it really, how long did it take you to get to your next chapter in life after you, you know, were let go from this other job, you know, especially going through what you did, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, oh, I'm just asking for clarification. Are you asking like, from the time like between within that year or yeah i guess like uh 
I guess like first, like how long did it take to write the piece? And then second, like what was the gap between, you know, leaving that job, losing that job and going to your next job? Sure. I wrote the piece. I want to, it's hard to say. I I believe it was late April, early May around Mm -hmm. then. And it took me this, this part, I was surprised. It took me about two months to write the piece because I was just, you know, during that time I was just grinding through trying to write, you know, applying for places, trying to find other side gigs or hustles. And for me, I felt like writing music at the time was the best way to cope along with trying to deal with anxiety. At Absolutely. The time. So, yeah. And eventually it, the whole process, it took about, it went from January to mid late August. And then I, my dad came up to me and said, Hey, Michael, I need your help with this stuff. Yeah. I, I know you're going through a lot with what you have, but I could help you out with, you know, basically he just told me that I have work for you that you could help out yeah. reasonable pay. Otherwise yeah. it's like, it just doesn't feel right. I mean, it might feel right otherwise, but I, I've always wanted to do, I felt like clarinet would be a nice somber light mm. sound. Cause I, I didn't want to be predictable, but at the same time, I didn't want to be forceful. And so I had that. And I actually, I was trying to figure out how to layer the um the that passage you know obviously you have start off with bass clarinet third clarinet second being voiced on top of one Mm -hmm. which i i just figured that would work well but i just like to build off of that setting and then as you've as you have noticed it just builds off of uh i just lost my page setting uh it builds off of flutes doubling as well as uh, eventually you horns, euphonium, just that whole connect combination of like yeah. warm sound. That's incredible. Yeah. But yeah, it took me a while to figure that voice texture, but thankfully I've, I've worked with very odd instrument combinations before that have done something similar or different. So. Oh, absolutely. I just love, I'm fascinated by texture and timbre. Like that's like my main thing. I like. It definitely comes across in the piece too. I mean, yeah. Like, are you, would you say you're more of an editor or are you like a through composer and like what you put out there is what it is, you know, if that makes sense? Yeah. Um, oh man, it, it depends piece by piece. Yeah. Um, yeah. There are sometimes like first is those, um, uh, last year when I wrote, I wrote a set of, uh, miniatures during the pandemic. Yeah. Those were mostly through composed because I was like, I had all the time in the world to write oh, and I wanted yeah. to see what I could do. I know that feeling. Yeah. And um I I you know, I edited a bit here and there, especially once I had it done. But this piece, I I I spent a, it was a bit of both, but I did a lot of editing because um the last time I wrote a large piece like this was my thesis, mm. which was for full orchestra. And I remember one issue I had with writing my thesis was that I, my, my ability to orchestrate with timbre was very diff was hard. Yeah. And, yeah. But there was also a lot of aleatoric notation and mm-hmm. a lot of experimentation as well. So I had to put that in consideration, but because of my familiarity with band from being sixth grade it just came natural to me to figure out what worked best and what didn't so it was pretty like easy uh like in terms of like i guess like would you how much of this piece did you go back and edit and change a lot of material Hmm. i'd say how much of it i'd say about maybe i i mean I would lie if I said it was a much smaller number. I had to go through quite a bit of sections. Yeah, um, yeah. I'd say at least half the piece I had to go back and edit because there are times where I feel like I want to expand something that I'm like, no, I I think I've expanded it enough because if I keep going, um, see, that's one thing I'm very thankful of is um, my wife, you know, being a, a musician herself, I always go to her and be like, hey, can you look over this and tell me what yeah. you think? And sometimes she's like, this is good. But the thing about her is she is, she's extremely critical. Yeah. Yeah. A theory background. She's like, but what about this? What about that? Or yeah. sometimes she'll be like, 
this doesn't sound right. And I'm like, okay. Um, and then I make the change and I'm like, my goodness, this sounds really good. And she That's jokes incredible. around. Yeah. And she jokes. It's like, you know, you should give me partial credit for being a composer. I'm like, Hmm. <laughs> Maybe I mean, co-compose a piece, you know, like just you know, yeah, do it simultaneously. That's incredible. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Because like I feel like I asked that because like on my end, like I feel like I'm pretty. Uh, one of my negative characteristics is like being impatient with the music. Like I write it and I don't give myself enough patience to kind of go back and change things if I'm not 100, percent you know, yeah, happy with it. I I'm either I'm I'm kind of really and I feel like some composers are like really hot or cold if they don't like something of their p of the piece of what they're writing. It's like ah, just trash it, like throw it in the trash bin, start something yeah. else, you know. And then there's composers that like will write a thought and idea. It's not what they want. It's like forty percent there. Yeah. They're willing to put in the 60% extra in editing to get to that 100%. You know, they have that patience. And so, yeah. like, I feel like that's kind of like, like, do you feel, I, I, it seems like you do have that patience for your music that you're like, you write something, you're like, ah, that's not right. And then you just go back. I, I know this kind of seems kind of like really basic, but like, I feel like to composers, that's a huge deal. Like, you know, yeah. your, your style of composing, whether you scrap it or you go back and edit it. Yeah, it also depends on the context. Like, for example, yeah. with this piece, I had all the time in the world to write it because yeah. the deadline was, I think, if I remember correctly, the deadline was mid-August, maybe late August. Mm -hmm. So I had all the time to make the edits. But like, but then again, I've had, like, my two most recent commissions I've had, I actually had to really pace myself yeah. because, you know, I don't want to make the commissioner impatient and be like, um, Michael, where is, the, uh, what happened? Yeah. So. I, it's mainly based on project for project, but if it's it's kind of ironic because part of me, I, I do feel like I'm a bit impatient at times, especially if I want to like do like the next big thing and stuff. But when it comes to writing, I try to be very careful with detail because I, I want to make sure that whatever I write, regardless of style, I want to make sure that message is clear. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, do you, do you credit your teachers with that? Yeah. Um, the one that really gave me the discipline about it was uh, Dr. Ricardo Lorenz. Um, mm -hmm. He was my professor for my entire master's degree at Michigan State. Nice. And, um, you know, he, he was, um, I will admit that he, he was a bit tough. Yeah. I consider it like tough love because there were times where, um, like, I'll, I'll give you a good example real quick. Um, I was writing a piece for uh, Eswarda Soltat Ensemble, which for those who aren't aware, it's basically, Trump, it's basically a clarinet bassoon, trumpet, trombone, uh, percussion, violin, and double bass, uh, based on Igor Stravinsky's the, the Perot ensemble. Uh, uh, no, it's not Perot. It's oh, more sorry, like Soldier's Tale. Gotcha. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. It took me a second. I was like, yeah, Histoire, Histoire du Soldat, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but he, he actually gave me that suggestion to write that piece, but. There was um at the time I wrote a piece called Test Drive, which is now a three movement piece. But before this, I only wrote one movement, and I was like, he told me, uh, Dr. Lorenz told me that uh, we need to make sure that uh, Music Twenty One, which is uh, Michigan State's uh, contemporary yeah. music ensemble, yeah, um, we want to make sure that they have the percussion um, chart ready by the end of the week. And it was, uh, I think it was Tuesday, that Tuesday or Wednesday. Uh, no, it was that Monday, he told me. And then two days later, I'm in the composition lab with one of my good friends, and I see my professor walk by. He walks back, and he's like, hey, Michael. I'm like, what's going on? He said, um, have you sent the percussion um, chart to the, uh, the directory? I said, no, I'm getting to it. Though. I was like, well, could you send it ASAP? And I'm like, okay, sure. And then I'm like, oh, my God, what do I do? And my, my, How much um, of it do you have it written? Nothing, oh, or? Well, well, I had, well, at the time, my goal was to write one movement because I wanted to see what I could get off of it. Absolutely. And it was, this was mainly for a reading session. So yeah. I was, you know, trying to see what I had going. And fortunately, one of my friends who was a doctoral student told me, I said, okay, quickly, could you tell me how would you list like a drum set? Because the piece was mainly a drum set plus extra percussion um, instruments. And he told me this measurement, that measurement, that. But eventually, um, 
it did end up, you know, I guess a uh, long story short, I ended up making it two more movements, but um, Dr. Lorenz, I mean, I give him a lot of credit for what I do because yeah. um, he, he's actually the one that told me once that he told me, he said, there's nothing wrong with taking time off between your master's and doctorates, which at the time I was thinking, I want to go straight to my DMA, mm-hmm. but I am so glad he told me that advice because as, as hard, as painful as it was for me to realize, oh, I got to wait or just do this. He, um, I think he made a really good point because I've learned a lot more outside of school than yeah. I did in school. Because when I yeah. went to Florida State, um, my wife, who also went to master's, had a master's degree beforehand, we both were like, this is weird. We're back in school. We're both in our mid-late 20s. And this is like, this is the drama we had to deal with. <laughs> it's, it's just so it's, you get a different yeah. perspective when you it's get easy, older. like easier in a sense or just uh lighter maybe i mean it's it's somewhat predictable like when you get back when you come back to school yeah when you're like in your late 20s 30s or maybe your 40s you have a different perspective on how you approach your degree Absolutely, and how you approach yeah. life because if you go straight through which there's no shame in doing that i mean my yeah. brother went straight through his um graduate degrees as well i mean he and he's doing very well for himself but he uh, but the thing is that i just feel like you could gain a lot more out of it and then bring more to it definitely and appreciate it more like i just feel like there's so many times in life that i'm just like well i wish i could go to undergrad now because i would just take the school by storm with what i know now and maybe that's arrogance but i feel like there's also some truth to it. like I, I remember being in in my dorm and and there was this one like they have this little they have this little newsletter weekly newsletter and like they someone wrote on the i it was really profound or maybe it was like something else but sure. someone wrote like you know there's the cliche of like youth is wasted on the young it's like well college is wait it was something along the same lines of our college is wasted on youth you know yeah. because when we get older when we get into our 50s and 60s it, it, it depends on temperament of course like who what kind of personality a person has but i feel like a lot of older people it's like well if i could go back with what i know now like there's that whole idea and so i i certainly affirm the idea that like it is it you know it depends on personality but like if it's good for your personality it's better to go to school later in life you know and finish, you know, or not finish, but just like do new things. And like, I want to be like, I've been talking about this with my wife. Like I want to, and she rolls her eyes every time. Like <laughs> I want to, I want to keep going on to school. I want to like go to a community college and like get whatever degree or go to whatever university. I don't know. Like if, if we can afford it, like, yeah, I think it'd be even as small as like, like, you know, community college, French classes, like, <laughs> you know, like anything. I just love the, I just love the school environment and that's my personality and i'm sure yeah. there's people out there that enjoy learning too yeah no there's no shame in that yeah so that was a long rant on uh on uh <laughs> no, that's postponing okay. doctorate you know and i'm sure there's lots of composers out there that need to hear it slash they want to talk about it just like this pressure of just going straight through school but I mean, the, the truth of the matter is that it is a pretty recurring topic. I mean, when you yeah. talk to other composers, there's always a debate about whether is it necessary to get a doctor or not. I I mean, it really depends on what your passion is. Yeah. Like, like I know for me, I wanted to be a composition professor, but the more, the older I got and the more I got involved with the arts, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm noticing there's a lot of, there's just this whole concept of gatekeeping. Yes. especially when it comes to people of underrepresented voices and and the such and you know even though i look the way i look there's still parts of me that don't really fit that criteria yeah and so um i just i don't want to be responsible for that but more importantly it just it just seems real there's just a lot of like expectation and it just you know i'd rather have my own path and try to create something where I have the ability to write and create something and help others as well. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, especially with an arts administration degree, like there's mm-hmm. a lot, and, and especially for, oh my gosh, how was, let's talk about interview or interning and, and working with eighth Blackbird. Sure. And there were other, <laughs> there was other organizations or it, it was, it was, um, 
originally it was supposed to be with eighth blackbird but um there was an agreement that was made where um the internship would be split within three organizations so it was mainly eighth blackbird along with third coast percussion and ensemble doll and niente who were all in the same building they're <laughs> just like the rock stars and just the oh best of the best like good lord uh, oh i loved it it was yeah fun. <laughs> that's insane like what were you, what were your responsibilities during that time and and what was your day-to-day look like oh well um it it was okay i'll put it this way i was i lived in evanston for three months in uh, an apartment um i don't know whose place it was but my brother had a connection who lived there at the time but anyway essentially for three months i was like i was the administrative intern me and one other student uh, the student is from was from tall uh, not tulsa i was from university of oklahoma okay but um he was a percussionist but basically most of my internship was with eighth blackbird and i mainly worked four days a week um, my task varied whether it was um look learning about salesforce databasing with mm. um donors yeah uh, also looking over um thank you letters invitations um there were even times where i got to interact with um the musicians well um with uh, with eighth blackford for example um i worked with them like i would say 50 percent of that internship they were just finishing up the season from yeah. before and we were preparing for the next season but what was fascinating was when i got there they were just getting started with the creative lab mm, so oh that's I, a big deal yeah yeah they they were just getting that going and i was like oh my goodness this is this is almost confidential so i had to be well i could talk about it now because it's been open for a while but yeah the like trade secrets essentially it's important stuff yeah yeah and you know just getting involved with that was fascinating yeah and, um you know and i was able to meet the musicians there as well got along well i mean i got along with all of them but i was able like for example i was able to talk to i was able to meet with lisa kaplan for a little bit because i had a couple questions and it turns out her dad was a michigan state alum and i was like oh small world so yeah, <laughs> yeah it's that connection but then third coast percussion i worked with um the four percussionists and uh lisa who was their uh, managing personnel she's no longer there anymore but it was mainly the five of them we mainly worked on a bunch of their they had a what did, they had a they were very busy that summer they had an education program they had a don a special donors event and i was able to meet a number of great musicians there as well yeah. and for ensemble del niente unfortunately with them it was not i wasn't involved with them that much because their schedule was a little bit more scattered compared yeah. to the other two but when i did work with them i mainly worked with ben melsky the harpist and then michael lowen uh, i don't know if i could say his last name correctly but michael lowendowski he's the he's a conductor of the group um i apologize if he, i'm sure he'll he forgive you <laughs> oh i'm sure he will it's been a while but anyway uh, i've worked with those two men and they they also are a great group i mean that over i mean i will say that i was i just felt like i had an artistic rebirth because i i finally found something that was very exciting and there were days i might have not had enough sleep but yeah. i didn't care because i was like i'm in the zone i actually feel yeah. really good about what i'm doing it's expensive but that's just the you know, it is I mean, what you it can't is. put a price on an experience like that, as cliche as that sounds. But like, really, though, like, I mean, you're getting it's it's really, really difficult to find not only um, arts organizations, but like healthy, well organizing, organized arts organizations. You know, you know, you're getting all this experience with the, you know, technology and the and then just like the small stuff right like the invitations yeah. and doing all this stuff yeah yeah i mean they're all extremely important because like for instance with the donors um i mean from my experience as a development person it's vital you got to make yeah. sure that you have your donor database well intact with you and you keep them informed because they're donating their money to you because they support your mission yeah yeah and 
you know, I mean, they, it's, it's amazing to talk with them. Cause you know, when you talk to them about when you're at like, for example, an eighth blackbird event, or in one particular case, you're at a donor's apartment um, for a post-concert reception for third cusp percussion, they're excited to talk to you because yeah. you're affiliated with them. And it's like, Oh, this is a lot of fun. It's not like you're dealing with like people who are like, what do you want? You know, they're right, like, you know, right. they just, yeah. it's always exciting to deal with that. Absolutely. But it's all important. Absolutely. And I was going to ask, like, you know, you got all these small details and all these small skills too. I mean, like what were some of the more big picture things that you learned from working with them? Hmm. Um, as a whole, I think one thing that I learned was um, just trying to prioritize the production because um, I've worked a couple of their, I've worked with a couple of TCP and Eighth Blackbird concerts where, like for example, with Eighth Blackbird, they actually were, they had like an exhibit area at the Museum of Contemporary Art Chicago. And um, there was a time where I had to help disassemble their exhibit. And it was, you know, the planning was very detailed because you had to make sure certain things were placed in, had to bring it back to the warehouse and just try to get that set up and anytime third coast percussion had a concert with percussion you have to be very careful with setup because yep. setup is number one priority especially if you want that quality sound and visual effect so i had to work with that a lot with them <laughs> and you know borrow like a, a moving truck for nice. every gig they had whether it was in um like near universe, like near Hyde Park, or if it was in um, Constellation Chicago, it, it just it's all about logistics, and that was the big thing I learned. But yeah, definitely the production was like one of the big things I learned. I mean, I would. Is there anything to say say about just like the people that you met? Um, I mean, you've mentioned a couple of them, but like in terms of like interpersonal skills and just like what i guess like as a, as an arts administrator and an organizer and doing all these things like what's the mo most important like relationship like advice that you should have or that you I should adhere to oh i guess for me it's like if it really depends on who you're talking to like yeah. if i'm if i'm working and I, I would also relate this to my previous job as well is yeah. that you try to keep things professional uh, the best you can because the goal is you're working with an organization you're not trying to work to take it to your advantage because yeah yeah it's as a composer i'm sure other arts administrators who are composers have had this experience but like it seems very tempting to try to divert your way to be like hey Oh, can you work on this with me? I can only can imagine. But, oh my word! Especially I mean, when you're talking to like top class musicians. Yeah. Yeah, but I think for me, I wasn't really. That wasn't my goal for me. Like, no, yeah. Like I said, when I talked with Lisa, my main thing was I wanted to know more about her experience with other collaborations because yeah, I want because like with Eighth Blackbird, they they've been around for a very long time, and I wanted to know like how they sustain their success. Yeah. Even when they have new musicians or they have these other types of opportunities. And that was my main purpose with her talking to her. But I think for me, it's more like you just got to know what your boundary is because yeah, you could do so many things within it. And there are exceptions, of course, like if there is like a consent where you you're allowed to talk, uh, like, for example, at when I was at my previous place, I asked the CEO, I said, um, I want to make sure that I'm doing this right is it okay if I talk to this musician and say, Hey, can I talk about this or that? And she says, she basically told me, she said, I, I have no problem with it. Just don't do it all the time. So yeah. I was like, Oh, so in my mind, I was like, okay, I got to strategize when the right time to do that. Mm -hmm. And I've only done it twice, but you know, we're friends, but I never really got any further than that. I, so more, moral of the story, know your boundary, if it's if you feel like it's good, make sure there's room for leverage, but yeah. try not to cross bridges because that you don't want to do that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, leverage and margin, like mm -hmm. give yourself enough room for like, OK, things aren't as good as I thought they were. Like, let's just, you know, keep it at, at, at fresh. But I mean, the boundaries thing is just 
super important, I think, for any composer relationship with like a performer or any collaborator. But I would, yeah. but then again, that's just my personal experience. I mean, yeah, yeah. some others might just be like, you feel free to do it or. Yeah, yeah, know. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So um, I guess going back to your music now, like, you know, like I feel like that was like Michael Goodman, arts administrator extraordinaire going into like composer, like, um, you know, especially coming off of an experience like that. Um, what were some of your main takeaways as a composer? We'll start with that. Like what, what were your, what were your biggest takeaways as a, as a creative person, essentially? From in, the the experience, sorry. From what? Ex sorry, what experience? That same experience, like working with with Third Coast Percussion, Eighth Blackbird. Like, how did that impact you creatively? Well, um, the fact that I was able to work with a new music ensemble, or rather, three new music ensembles, really got me excited. Yeah. And you know, as I mentioned, um, I I had an artistic rebirth. Um, yeah. Specifically, I I was fortunate enough to live in Evanston by Northwestern University, where the, if, if, you, if, none, if anyone has not been there, if you go to the College of Music building, they're on like a tiny little peninsula and you see like this sky, the skyline view of like the loop. And it, I was looking at the Lake Michigan and all that stuff, but I was thinking, oh my God, I actually am feeling something and I actually can yeah. do something. Cause I was actually excited to be there and I was in the right mood mindset. And, for me, having that experience with those three ensembles not only gave me the opportunity to be more creative, but it also gave me a definite, like a, a purpose to mm, like, why yeah. am I writing my music? What's my voice? And that in particular is uh, my voice and objective is to write music based on my personal experiences um, and some of my close friends, but it's mainly whether it's like I'm running late for work or it's mainly with my um you know, um, disability that I have as well. So there, it stems as far back as that. So there's yeah. um, a lot to go through. And I just want to have the performer and audience to get a perspective of what either I've been through or what they may have been through. Oh, that's incredible. I mean, I, it's, I think as composers, we give grief to uh, like music festivals because they're sometimes obnoxiously expensive. Oh my but, God. but, but at the same time, like some of my same like musical rebirths, I've, I've only been to two. Um, hmm. but those, those experiences were enough to like catapult me onto a creative, you know, I don't know what, what a good illusion. It was just so impactful to my life and to, and as, and to my career as a composer. And I'm sure like working or, you know, volunteering, you know, like being exposed to just incredible composers and musicians. I think that's really what the purpose of those fe festivals are. And, yeah. um, and they're just, as much as we dog them, you know, they're, they're incredibly important for that reason. You know, they, they spawn these relationships and collaborations that are meaningful. So absolutely. Um, yeah. And so I guess like, um, what are you up to now? Um, like where, where what do you, the, we talked a lot about your past and so like what where do you see yourself going in terms of like your story and like your your uh creative life sure that's a really good question so my right now what i'm working on well actually i'm gonna figure out how to start this um i'll start with right now so right now i'm trying to get two of my commissions performed one was with um a tuba colleague i met at michigan state uh, long story short, um, the schools that he's at, they were still trying to figure out how to schedule because of the COVID protocols, which mm -hmm. understood, you know, you got to be Absolutely. safe. But based on whatever happens, that premiere will, the, the piece for that one's called Pneumatic Funk. That won't be premiered until maybe October, November, but I haven't heard any updates, so we'll see. The other commission, which was with my sister-in-law, who is a... Um, a choreographer at um, the Brookline Dance Academy nice. in Boston. Wow. Um, that, that is actually more of a video commission because it's a 12-minute um, film based mm. on her students' experiences through the pandemic. And yeah. I wrote a two-minute piece to fit within that project. That is also to be determined because 
it was supposed to be mid June, but there was some editing and some other schedulings that came up, but which reminds me, I need to need to follow up with her and be like, Hey, what's going on. But right now I am doing two things. Well, actually three things. First thing is I'm working on a second set of concert etudes for piano. I wrote the first set 10 years ago. Um, it was basically six etudes and I'm working with the same pianist who I worked with back uh, then, and, awesome. but there are different like etudes. So you might have an etude that um, mainly melodic etudes mm-hmm. or versus more experimental. Like for instance, my next etude I'm working on is mainly dealing with clusters and percussive effects. So cluster chords with the hand, palm, fist, forearm to like knocking the side of the soundboard, stuff like that. Uh, there is to be determined when that'll be done and then i'm trying to get a collaboration going with a violinist i know from boston um she wanted to, she wants to work on a piece for a competition that is due in december but we just got to schedule times and stuff but the other thing i'm trying to do more importantly is i'm trying to expand more on my long-term goal which i mentioned earlier which is to create my own business and mm-hmm. what I've been doing lately, as you can see behind me, <laughs> there's a, a back to school sale I'm advertising. Excellent. And the purpose for that is I, I've noticed that even though I'm working with professionals and college students, a lot of my, most of the people that buy my music are from high school and college, mm-hmm. which is ironic because the one piece they keep buying is the two siblings, which my older brother and I performed saxophone oh, that's, duet. that's amazing oh, yeah man. but it, it it also is frustrating at the same time because i'm like my god this is the only piece that people buy and my wife shalice is like what well geez why are you upset about them like well i don't know but um I, you love all your your compositions equally you know you want all of them yeah. to do well you know yeah absolutely and at least get more than one performance right yeah. absolutely yep but i i also realized that there is a huge need for that age because as you may be aware um we focus a lot on like professional high and like high art virtuous virtuosic yeah yes the music but we rarely focus on excuse me um we focus a lot on we don't focus as much on like the middle ground or even the beginner music and i want to give the accessibility to students and band and orchestra teachers in the high school in the K through 12 system, the access to my stuff, because mm, I realized yeah. that music is expensive. Um, you know, buying an instrument, taking private lessons, paying for classes, competing in like honors bands, stuff like that. And, you know, the very least I can do is I want to help give some type of leeway for students and others to get involved. Mm-hmm. But I'm my main issue right now is I'm trying to it's something I still got to work on is just trying to like market my stuff. Yeah. Try to make the algorithm work. I'm still working. It's on hard. It, but... Yeah. It's, it's an ongoing. Difficult yeah. Thing. Yeah. Ever changing, but I'm enjoying it. You know, it's just yeah. a lot of fun, but yeah, mainly those three things. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I guess, uh, in terms of uh you know your writing style like do you see that you know you do you see yourself exploring different types of styles genres you know ideas compositionally in the near future like what what are you focusing on now and like where do you want to go into in the future it's it's really hard to tell actually because yeah, yeah. you know every, things change all the time but the one thing I will stay will say for a fact is my sound is always going to be different. Mm-hmm. Um, like for instance, you, you know, you've heard my like first perseverance sounds one way versus writing. Um, what was the stir crazy? T- yeah. Like stir crazy. Well, actually I'll give you, let me give you an example. Like for instance, if you like a piece that might like tension and release, for example, yeah. is very experimental. I mean, I don't have a recording for it, but there's a lot score of, to it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll write something as ex- extreme as that. And we'll link to it in the description too. Yes. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, still looking for a performance of that, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> side note, but I sound in 
you know, the sound is always going to be different on my end. I think for me, I'm staying with my idea and philosophy, which is my own personal experiences and the theme of, you know, of that. If yeah. as long as I have that and I'm genuine about my style and how I write, then I'm good with it. But I'm, I'm fairly flexible with what to write just as long as it makes the message more meaningful. Absolutely. And I think that would you say that, you know, is contributed by your passion for music generally? Absolutely. What was your, I, I guess like real quick, like what was your, you know, exposure to music before becoming a professional composer? Like were you in band or were you, did you take piano lessons? Um, I only took piano lessons for a little bit and then I quit because I heard someone play better than me. And I was like, this is not fair. Why is this person better than me? I quit. <laughs> that was brief, but I actually, my dad was the one that influenced me because, um, my dad, um, plays tuba. He, he's not, he's more of like a hobbyist tuba player. No disrespect dad, but it's more like he enjoys playing that and bass guitar. And so he, he's like, okay, well, what are you looking at? I thought, okay, trombone, trumpet, why not the euphonium, which was a good idea and also a bad idea. Cause like, it's great. Cause it's an awesome instrument and it's definitely a very underrated instrument, but there's not as many gigs. Yep. <laughs> and so nope. unless you could double on something else, then that's something else, but maybe brass band Christmas, but you know yep. english english band because that was super popular with the brass but yeah but, but the other thing he helped me with was i also got exposed to frank zappa and my dad oh. was a very my dad was a big fan of zappa's music and so he used to share that music with my brother and i and i'm sure my brother enjoys it and you know listens to it here and there but i got i got consumed by it because i was like because if you, for those who don't know, Frank Zappa's music is very all over the place. He like he's mainly a rock musician, but he composes music specifically like Edgar Varese type style, and it's almost like almost impossibly hard to play. And you know, I just am so fascinated like how where he goes in the music, and you know, lyrics might sound a little bit unusual and weird, but I mainly focus more on like his art writing, like his writing itself. And it's just like, my goodness, he, he goes from this to that. And yeah, if you've ever heard of um, Zappa's music, I think there's some influence of his that I put into my music quite a bit. It's just, it's hard to tell at times, but, but yeah, those, my dad was mainly the main influence for me. Oh no, I definitely hear Zappa's influence in, in your music. That's incredible. That makes much, much more sense. Cause like, um, oh my gosh, what were some of Zappa's pieces slash albums, you know, songs, like where, 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 I guess like if you could name three that, you know, that stand out to you. Oh, wow. He, he wrote a lot. That's I know. The thing. I know. It's and, hard to choose, isn't it? And, and what's, what's more intense is that his music is still being released to this day because he yeah. had a huge recording archive. Oh, I didn't but, know that. Wow. Oh, yeah. No, he is kind of like, a, like a, a vault in a way. So like he made recordings for every single rehearsal, every concert. There's even some things that, that were recorded that never gone to existence. But yeah. as far as top three, I got to say... Oh my goodness, that is so tough. Um, I have to say, um, I love um, Peaches and Regal Regala Regalia. And Hot Regalia in the Hot Rats album. Yep, that's, that's a, great a one. very nice piece. I also like, part of me also likes the Adventures of Gregory Peckery, which I learned oh. from my professor, Dr. Lorenz, introduced me to that piece because nice. he taught a uh, American history class as well. Yeah. Fascinating. And then I would say the, oh my goodness. Oh, there's, this is tough because there's um, Gregory Peckery, Peaches and Regalia. And then it's a tie between the Black Page, number two. You stole the words right out of my mouth. Or, um, I don't know if I should say this, right? I mean, I'm sure I will, but G-Spot Tornado. Oh, heck yes. 
those absolutely are, oh my gosh all really good i mean if it was good enough for what Boulez to make an arrangement of or Ooh. or to have because Boulez put that on one of his albums correct like or was I, that or was that the it was like the it was like the train he made that in in the music studio and mm. then that was arranged for chamber orchestra or maybe i might be yeah. wrong i mean i know ensemble modern performed it it was in like the early 90s late 80s yeah if it was good enough I'm, for them oh my gosh definitely oh. deserves to be on a top three list oh yeah it's but the one thing i learned at the time was i tried to i tried to form a new music ensemble years ago and sadly and what's unfortunate is i talked to um one of the former band directors at michigan state and i asked him like you've performed some of his music before um how do i gain access and at the time it was uh, Dr. Wesley Brodnix who was there. And he was like, Michael, I'd love for you to help you out with this. But unfortunately, Gail Zappa is got a lot of, she has all the rights to the music. And yeah. Gail Zappa is uh, Frank Zappa's widow or well, well, she recently passed away, but she was very particular with um, like copyright. And so to gain access to it, it was very expensive or you had to go through all these steps. So I was like, I'll just listen to it. You know, I can't really perform it or anything. Like I know. That, but, yeah. Yeah. That's hard. But man, those, those are amazing works and it's too bad that he tends to get overlooked, but yeah. you know, but you get it. I do. Yeah. I mean, a lot, I think he's coming, he's shut. A lot of composers are like, it's like he kind of ebbs and flows in the composer culture. Like he kind of like his, his music kind of wanes down and then it gets picked back up. And, um, yeah, that's that. And it makes so much sense with your music. Just being, I just feel like you, I, I, it seems like you have a high degree of openness that -hmm. you're willing to just go anywhere and any, and do, you know, anything musically and find enjoyment out of it too. And I think that's hard for a lot of composers because they don't enjoy a particular way of doing things, you know, and, and that's definitely something that is, that is awesome for sure. So, oh, thank you. Yeah. And I think on that note, I think we're we're done. So I think, um, yeah, I, thanks for coming on and and sharing your music and sharing your life. And yeah, no, my pleasure. I'm I'm very thankful for being here today. It was great to meet you, and I hope everything goes well. Thank you for listening to the whole episode. If you liked what you heard, uh, there will be links in the description to all the pieces that the composers discussed. And for further information about Tux People's Music, we will leave a link to the website and the publishing house there as well. Until next time, thank you for listening.